Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Back here in the DriveHubler.com studio, 93.5-1075 The Fan. James Boyd here with Jimmy Cooks, and we have a legend on the line. He will never say it himself. He won't admit it. But how you doing, chap? Good. How are you? Well, for you, you've been around this for a long time, obviously. What are your first impressions of Anthony Richardson and what he brings to this franchise in his 20 years of youth? He brings hope, you know, because <laughs> you know, that's all you know. I mean, you hope. And I thought this franchise was, was at a place where they needed hope. Well, you know, maybe this guy is the real deal. He's going to be. 12, 14 years of franchise guy, but at least it gives you something to look forward to. And I think it was important for the fan base and everybody to go into the season with, you know, a young guy that might be the answer. I mean, you don't know. You know, history says that about half of these first round quarterbacks don't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Bryce Youngs and, and, and Richardson's and the Strouds and all that, but you don't know. But he at least gives them some direction, and they will give him every chance uh, to grow and to be the guy. And and you know, all that all that depends on it is the you know the future of the franchise. <laughs> Chap, I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit, but Jonathan Taylor was was asked during an interview earlier this week for how he would best describe Anthony Richardson, and he used a lot of the same comps that we've heard throughout the entire draft cycle. Reference Jalen Hurts, reference Lamar Jackson, reference Cam Newton. Uh, in, in general, that's obviously high praise from arguably your best weapon on the offensive end. But when you when you hear that from Jonathan Taylor, that's just one example of the type of confidence early on that the veterans in that locker room have in the young man. But what are your takeaways on that? Yeah, and I think what's important is in all those comparisons, there's always something there, right? That's valid. But we've got to let this kid kind of be himself and kind of do what he does. And sort of what a lot of what he does is unique, but he's such an unfinished product. It's I go back to when we talked to Ed Dodds, you know, one of Chris Ballard's right-hand men after the draft. And, and when he was initially, you know, evaluating Richardson, he said it was so hard to get past the fact that he had 13 starts on like 290-some passes or whatever it was. Because as a scout, you want to see game film. You want to see the guy play. Well, this guy didn't didn't have much of that. So, but it's really important that, that we all sort of let this guy grow. And you know, we all want. I think it's important that he plays sooner rather than later. But they will not put this kid out there until he's ready. And is that week one? Is it week six? We don't know. But it's gonna be fun watching. Chap, how do you think Jonathan Taylor having him in the backfield will help um, simplify things a little bit for Anthony Richardson whenever he does take the field? Well, that's I mean, when we talked to Jim Irsay, uh, I think it was during a draft, mm-hmm. he mentioned a couple of times. Of course, he also mentioned the season opener like two or three times, <laughs> so we know where his eyes are. But he, he also mentioned how simplified offense, simplified offense. So they're they're going to at least initially, tailor things to where, you know, he, it won't be one of the old paralysis 
by analysis type of thing where you're so overwhelmed. They're not going to do that. They're going to have an offense that certainly this kid can run, can be efficient and productive, but that's why it's so important to sort of take steps. What he was, you know, Richardson was here last weekend for the rookie minicamp. He's not here this week because of league rules, but he's, he's here next week and he'll be with the veterans for the first time. And out there with all, all the returning guys with Gardner Minshew. So really next week is when sort of his growth really takes off because then he's out there with the rest of the guys. It's, it's these guys that are talked highly of him. Quentin Nelson talked about how he dominated the combine and all this. And, and all these guys have seen that from afar. Now they're going to see it up close. And I think what's important is how does, how does Richardson sort of handle being the guy? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's kind of difficult when you're 20, when he turns 21, is it this month, later this month, or in May, and later in May. And it's got to be hard to walk on the field in the huddle when you've got Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and all these guys, even Jonathan Taylor, and sort of take control. Because you've got to do that, but it's got to be real. It can't be a fake thing. And I got the impression that this that Richardson will do that in his own way. But he's got to take control of the offense, sort of the presence. I remember Shane Steichen talked about his presence in the building, and he's got that bounce on his step. Uh, but it's really, really important how he interacts and how he's, I guess, accepted by his teammates because these guys are flat tired of changing quarterbacks. You hear it when, when these Quentin Nelson talked about it. All these guys talk about, you know, from one quarterback to another, you do not grow as an offense or as a team bouncing from, you know, Jacoby Brissett and, and, and Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan have this guy to build around and grow around. And that's what's going to be really exciting to watch over the next several months. Chap, does that mentality, because I get it, the fatigue, and I think we all have it, but it's different when you're in the trenches with the guy, that fatigue of different quarterbacks, does that get combined at all or taken into account if you're bringing Richardson in midseason versus starting in week one? Like if you're having to go through Minshew and getting used to his cadence and how he operates versus the idea of the rookie maybe getting some run this year? No, I think it is different from okay. recycling these veterans, but no, but there will be a transition, right? Whenever it comes, and again, if in my mind, there's no doubt Minshew will be the most ready for the season opener, just because he's a veteran, he's played two years in Steichen system. But I just, it's going to be curious how far behind, if that's the right word, or how close Richardson is to being ready. On top of that is is how ready is the offense? Is, is the offensive line fixed to the point that they can protect this guy? I, I realize that everyone talks, and they're right about he's got the mobility to avoid sacks or whatever. But mobile quarterbacks run into sacks too, mm-hmm. so so it's really going to be how they feel he's how, how ready he is, but then how ready is the offense? And if it's close, if he's close, I won't be shocked if he starts. But I also won't be shocked if they let Minshew kind of get things going. The problem is, let's say you start Minshew, and they go four and one. 
then, then how do you transition <laughs> to the rookie? I, yeah. th- that's a difficult part. But they'll just they'll, they'll go through all these scenarios. And again, from talking from James was there, from talking to Perse and Steichen, I got the I got the sooner rather than later vibe from both guys. Absolutely. And Chef, this is more of a personal question. Forty seasons for you covering the team here in Indianapolis. What keeps it fresh? Why? keep coming and um, doing what I assume you love every day. Yeah, for, it's one of those, you just enjoy it. And I've mentioned to guys in the past that that I was very fortunate and you're in the same boat that I found something I really, really liked to do at an early age in college and then coming out and I was good at it and, and they paid me for it. Holy smokes, they paid me for it. <laughs> and how many people do you know, your neighbor or whatever, that goes nine to five and he hates his job. He hates it, but he goes because he has to, he's got to put food on the table. We're, we're some of the fortunate people that, that we've, we found what we do. They, they pay us for it and we're good at it. And as long you know, as long as the checks keep playing, I plan on doing it, you know, a couple <laughs> more years anyway, but, but I keep thinking about you, James. I mean, gosh, I've covered the Colts like, twice as many years you've been alive what, what are you 20 i mean yeah i'm, I'm 27 um but yeah chap I, I get reminded quite often i'm the baby in the media room and so uh i think i told chap one day i was like hey man like he, he leans over he's like you know james you're like younger than my grandkids and i was like oh like you know, thanks for reminding me so uh, i've got a grand i've got a grand since it's 22 so you know i'm, I'm not lying to you <laughs> there you go there you go Chap, in that same vein, obviously none of the three of us are going to ultimately make that decision for when Anthony Richardson is ready, but you've seen so much football over the years to know how this process works. From your vantage point, again, you're not saying what the Colts are going to do, but how you're measuring this out. We had J.J. Stankovitz on yesterday, and he talked about the different phases that are left in this offseason in the lead-up to training camp. How will you know or how will you get a good sense that Anthony Richardson is making the type of progress to where maybe he won't even start week one, but he's making the type of progress that is satisfactory for Shane Steichen and company? Yeah, good question, because I'm not sure that Shane Steichen is going to give us a <laughs> right a weekly update. I mean, we, we, we've talked with him enough that we're not going to get that. I don't know. It's a good question. I And I always, people always jump on me because I refer to Peyton Manning, but when he was here, you just knew. Now he he wasn't Mr. Hall of Famer the first half of the season, but there was just the way he carried himself, how he handled the huddle, and you could just see it, you know, almost from the first couple of practices. And I don't know if we're going to see that from Richardson. What's really going to be interesting, and we get to see OTAs in a couple of weeks, like one day a week, and then the three day mini camp in June. How will they? divvy up the work with the number one unit. Do, do you give the bulk of it to Richardson who needs it? You got to get Gardner Minshew ready because you know, he needs it too. So, but I, I don't know if we're going to see how he carries himself on the field, how he's throwing. Cause there's going to be more. Does he grasp the offense? Does he understand protections? Are he in the offensive line working together? That's and that's really hard to watch in practice. It really is. We're gonna we're gonna watch him at training camp, and we're gonna see the good and the bad. We're gonna see the amazing plays, 
the, the, the plays that he gets outside and runs and the ones he – he threw that one deep ball the other day. The, who was it? Cody somebody. Cody Case. Cody, Cole, Cody, Cody Case with a K. And uh, Cody with a K. And you think, holy smokes. And, and then he misses some throws. And we're going to see that. But I don't know how we're going to see with our eyes his, his how, how he's progressing to be ready to start. We'll get an idea in, in, in the preseason games. He's got to play. He's simply got to play. And how does he react in those two or three games he plays? Uh, I, I think we'll get a good idea there. But, again, I say if I really believe if he's close to being ready, I just think they may go with him and, and, and deal with the bumps as long as he's not getting beat up because of protection. Chap, how do you think – he's handled the spotlight so far he has the deepest voice of a 20 year old I've ever heard in my life so maybe that helps but yeah, um, I think that maybe the part that might be understated about him and how talented he is is that he seems to be you know to our knowledge from the outside looking in a pretty good kid with a nice head on his shoulders yeah and, and we've, we've had like three or four times talking to him two or three times and what you what you really enjoy when the season gets going is being in the locker room Standing at his locker, and it's just a, a better setting. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't, I can't think of anything. If I had an agenda where I wanted to rip the kid, I'm not sure what he's, how I could pick things out and rip him for it because he's, he's been on point. He's been, he's been direct. He's answered things. He's impersonable. I thought one of the more important things he told us the day he came in after the draft, I think it was. Remember when all of his family and friends came in? Mm-hmm. There were eight or nine of them. And he mentioned how, you know, mom and stepdad and agent and manager and brother and a handful of other guys, they're moving up here with him. They're probably already up here with him. He said they keep me grounded. That's pretty important. That's, I mean, it's just important because all of a sudden now, this 20-year-old went from being in college and going to class as much as they do whatever they do this is his job. He, he's going to be a multimillionaire as soon as he signs his contract. Thirty-five million—that's life-changing for you and you know your, your kids' kids, maybe. So, and, and some guys we've seen don't handle it well. I get the impression from everything we've seen, this guy is very genuine. There's that personable to him that you really, really like, and he's—he needs that because he is the face of the franchise. You know, if you're not able to handle the spotlight and the demands and talking two or three times a week, it really wears on you. I've seen nothing in the short term to say that he can't handle it. But again, we've only seen a snapshot of him. The Dean Mike Chapel of Fox United CBS 4 with us here on The Fan. Chapa, I know we're tired of hearing the name, but... I need to ask you just for your context on it. What is to be gained or or why has this evolved into a a request for an inquiry on the Colts part in regard to the commanders potentially tampering uh, with an inquiry about Andrew Luck uh, allegedly last year? Well, yeah, if if it's true, you've got to, you want want the, the evidence or you want there to be an investigation to see what was done. And, you know, I, I trust the guys at the Washington Post. They don't throw stuff against the wall. They they, they, they source things pretty well. So I, I don't have the, a doubt that something happened. 
it's just hard to figure out what that something is. And if I'm the Colts and I'm Jim Irsay, I am PO'd that they're messing with the guy. Pe- people forget that the Colts own his rights. Yeah, there's no different than, than a team, you know, calling Quentin Nelson or, or anybody else under contract. This guy is still under contract to the Colts. And if there's interference or tampering, it needs to be known. We saw we saw what happened with the Miami Dolphins when, what, over three years they tampered with Tom Brady and, and, and Sean Payton, and it cost them a couple of draft picks and, gosh, a million and a half or $2 million in fines. The, the league, it's hard to prove, I think, but if they can prove it, the league comes down pretty hard. So the Colts are simply – it comes out wrong, but the Colts are simply protecting their commodity, which is what you have to do. And, you know, I, all of us are convinced. I know Zach Kiefer did a really, really good thing with his podcast. I think Sports Illustrated did a good thing, too, on Andrew Luck. And it's very clear the guy is the guy is retired. But having said that, th- there were times in the last several years where Jim Irsay – you at least check, Andrew. What do you think? And and they've come to the conclusion that he, that he's retired. But if somebody messes with your property, I hate to use the word property, but that's sure. But that it isn't. It, that's what he is. You get a little PO'd about it. You, you don't want somebody coming into your backyard and messing with with your stuff. <laughs> sure. So if, if they're doing that, they need to be held accountable. Last thing, Chap, I want to end on on a positive story. You had this on CBS4Indy.com. Uh, it was reported yesterday. Butler's Tyler Adams, who was a part of that Colts Pro Day, earns his shot, gets signed by the Colts on Monday morning, former Butler wideout. It, just take us through that story. Again, It's you also joked on Twitter when you were going through the signings and cuts that had happened throughout that cycle, having a racer handy, do it all in pencil, but still a, a monumental moment for that young man. Well, it's all about getting your foot in the door. It just is. He was here for the Tyler Adams was here for the, the, the pro day, whenever it was in April. And then he's invited here as a tryout. You know, some of those guys think, oh, they're, they're here because you need X number of players at a position to run practice. But he's done enough to, to, to be signed as an undrafted guy. And the Colts have shown, like a lot of teams have, is if you are good enough at your position – whether you're seventh-round pick or undrafted or whatever, they'll give you a shot and you'll earn, you'll earn a, a roster spot. I mean, it's – what was it Dallas Flowers last year? There's a George Odom, Dominic Rhodes, Gary Brackett. I can go back and back. Terrence Wilkins in the day. And these guys were you – know, Gary Brackett was a stud linebacker for a lot of years. So it's all about getting in the right situation with the right team. And it's always an added thing when it's a local guy, I mean, local college. Uh, and we'll see. Will he make it? I don't know. But but there's also a 16-player uh, practice squad. So it's all about getting your foot in the door, being around there. And you keep showing up until they tell you, until they take your, your security code away. So good for, good for him. And, you know, like I say, the, the thing is, it's funny, this time of year there, there's always – Roster moves, and, and I tell you, there have been times that the Colts have put out that they've cut this guy or that guy, and I don't recognize the name. I just don't because they're one of the 90. And But as long as you're still on the roster, as long as you're still at practice, you've got a chance, and that's all a lot of these guys can ask for is give me a chance. That's the Dean Mike Chapel. 
Chap, always appreciate you making time for us. Great to hear from you. And ordinarily, uh, we, we don't end these with homework, but uh, next week, albeit way too early, I know you're looking forward to the schedule. We'll probably <laughs> probably simulate that with extreme <laughs> ignorance. I'm looking forward to, to getting that with you. It's amazing <laughs> that the NFL has turned the schedule release yes. into an event. It's totally amazing, but it's true. Watch party. Chappie's house. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. See you guys. See you, James. Thank you. It's the Dean, Mike Chappell, Fox 59 and CBS 4. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back here in the drivehubler.com studio, you're listening to 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. James Boyd, that is me. Jimmy Cooks, that is him. We also have Matt Moore on the line from the Action Network. Matt, my first question to you is, are the Warriors dead? Will they, will they resurrect themselves <laughs> in this series, or are they, you know, finally, finally the king has fallen? <laughs> I think finally... Finally, the run run is over. Um, I think when you look at the how the series has gone, how the playoffs have gone, how the season has gone, the Warriors won so often just with their margin for error, right? Like mm-hmm. they always, if the bench was struggling, well, the starters are going to hit a bunch of threes, and if the if the three pointers aren't falling, their defense is elite. There's really nothing elite about this team right now. Um, Steph's still amazing, even though he struggled last night overall. But he doesn't have the better team right now. And Draymond, it's very inconsistent. Clay Thompson's even more inconsistent. And the bench is a disaster. And so, you know, they can't win on the road. There's all these things that have stacked up against them. It's taken a million cuts to finally fell the beast. But I do think that the Warriors are going to be done in this series. Matt Moore with us of the Action Networking Forum on Twitter at HP Basketball, one of our favorite NBA follows throughout the entire year, not just right now during playoffs. But to that same question, Matt, all that being said, it was plus 400 last night. It's plus 380 <laughs> now. What's the value meter say about Warriors in seven? Uh, <laughs> I, I have a hard time getting there, to be honest with you. I just think that um, I, I the biggest thing I think from last night that I, I really kind of take away is the first time I've really ever seen the Warriors look like they know that they're just kind of outmatched here. Like they know they don't have the horses and that's a real problem. Um, you know, it, they're having to get so much, there's so much that has to go right for the Warriors where before it always felt like there was so much that could go right for the Warriors. And instead it's like, no, no, no. like you're going to have to play elite defense and you're going to have to find the right rotations. Like think about this, like Steve Kerr is, has mixed up his starting lineup twice in four games. That's a crazy amount of adjustment within the context of the series. So I think if we look at like the value as far as like how this is looking at, if you want to go that way, go the whole way. Like if you want to bet Warriors in seven, bet Warriors to win the title. Get even better on value on it now. Don't stop there. <laughs> don't don't stop at Warriors in seven. Go ahead and bet them to win the title. If they get out of this, then they're once again unkillable. But I I think that there's probably not a lot of value to be found on them at this point. So my last one about the Warriors is, in particular, Jordan Poole. You know, he was a guy they invested in. They expected to really take another step this season, along with the other young guys. And maybe to a broader point, do you think the Warriors may have gambled and wrongly gambled on youth rather than, you know, retaining some of the veteran presences they had last year that helped them win, you know, the title? A hundred percent. I mean, 
uh, I think that people tend to overlook contributions from the role players. So just like, oh, those are just guys. But like, look, last season, Nemanja Bielica had big moments in the playoffs for them. Otto Porter started for them and had big moments in the playoffs for them. Uh, they got contributions from multiple guys, and the young guys simply have not been been ready to contribute, or Kerr has not felt like they are ready to contribute. If you look at, you know, like they needed Jonathan Kaminga to be a bigger part of their team, mm-hmm. and he just hasn't been. You know, uh, Moses Moody, I think, actually played really great last night. I think he was he has been a, a positive contributor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they traded back for Gary Payton, who hasn't been healthy and doesn't look like the same kind of guy. And he had a good game last night, but like in general, I, I just I'm not sure that they have they have banked a lot on internal. You know, and obviously James Wiseman was a huge miss for them. Yeah. But they just haven't gotten the guys. They don't have the guys, which is the first time we've ever seen that in this Warriors run. Matt, last question on my end from Lakers Warriors. We know, and you know very well, how narratives will be shifted or changed by just a bounce of the basketball here or there. Anthony Davis has been, whether it's on Inside the NBA or, or nationally, panned for the up-and-down roller coaster that's happened at times, particularly during this playoff run. Has 21 points last night in the first half, finishes the game with 23. How much of the passiveness of the way the offense was rolling, obviously they won, so it doesn't matter, but how much of that in particular in Game 4 was in your mind, by design and, and more of perplexing why they didn't try to go to him more often down the stretch? You know, I, I think uh, the Warriors have done a lot to try and bring help in those situations, but some of this is just they're not very disciplined with it, and you know, honestly, AD doesn't demand the ball. Like, he doesn't really make it a huge priority the way that you might expect it to, and the Lakers don't make it an issue for themselves either. And so in those situations, um I'm not surprised. Like, look, Davis is going to be inconsistent. Like, Davis will always kind of be inconsistent. That's who he's going to be. They can win a title with it, but I don't think if we're, there's any reason to suspect that he's going to suddenly change in terms of being an inconsistent player that goes game to game from monster performances to eh. And I think that's going to be how it's going to go. But the, the key is that the Lakers are deep enough and well-coached enough and have enough defensive capability uh, to where they don't need that from him every night. So, got a couple game fives coming up tonight. I'll start with the nightcap, which is, you know, Suns at Nuggets. Have you ever seen a stretch like this that Devin Booker is on? Because I'm trying to rack my brain of it, and I'm only 27. I didn't see Michael Jordan in his prime, but the lists that he's on are like Michael Jordan lists. Yeah, uh, so the best scoring performances I've ever seen in person was obviously like I was at game six for clay in 2016. That's the best like scoring shooting performance in a huge spot that I've ever seen. Devin Booker's like mid range clay game six, clay Thompson, every game, like every game. He's like that. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, the efficiency, the efficiency is just out of this world. He just does not miss. And some of these are really well contested shots and he is absolutely hitting them. It's been an incredible postseason for him. Uh, he's also he's not one-dimensional. Uh, he's mm-hmm. making the right passes. He's doing all the things that make his team better. He's defending. Like he has done absolutely everything for the Suns, and they would be doomed without him. So it's you know it's one thing. Sometimes these numbers are not reflective of how the game went, or you know there could have been other things, or took too many shots. No, like every shot has been a a good shot for him. He has made them all. 
and he's made the right play in key situations while defending. This is best player in the league stuff from Devin Booker. Matt Moore with us of the Action Network. You can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Matt, you're obviously based out there in Colorado. The Nuggets throughout time, but in particular during the era of the Joker, it feels like are still viewed as an afterthought, still viewed as, okay, we want to see you do it before we're finally going to believe in you. What's the vibes out there in Denver with this series tied at two games apiece? I think there's still a high level of confidence uh, from the team itself and I think from the fan base because it has taken Booker playing at this level and there is an idea of, well, you know, he can't do this forever. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm kind of like, well, let's see him not do it before we say that Devin Booker's not going to do it. And, um, and even if, you know, he doesn't, you got a guy named Kevin Durant over there who's also pretty good. So, but I will say, like, look, despite all of that, the Nuggets had chances. They could have won game three and four. Despite incredible performances, those games just weren't far enough apart. Like, those should have been really, with especially game three, that should have been like a blowout win for the Suns. And the fact that it wasn't, I do think kind of gives a lot of credence to the idea that the Nuggets are better, but they're going to have to make the shots and they're going to have to make the plays and they're going to have to be incredible and get enough offense and figure out, I guess, something on defense, whether it's just taking away Landry Shamit or just getting role players to shoot better at home. This is a game on the margins now because you've got Joker playing at an all-time level. You've got Booker playing at an all-time level, and it's going to come down to the role players. Uh, the Nuggets have home court. That leans in their favor. But I think the series is razor, razor thin. So in the East, we know Miami's in the driver's seat. I'd expect him to, them to close this series out in five or six games. They just look like the better team, period. But for the other Eastern Conference series, you know, 2-2, what do you think has hindered Boston, specifically down the stretch in some of these games? Because to me – they were in the finals last year. You're supposed to have been through some of these aches and pains, but it seems like they really are having a hard time, even to a degree with the Atlanta Hawks, of just closing out games and series. Yeah, and the, the real problem for Boston is Boston. <laughs> yeah, this, honestly, game one, look, the, the series is 2-2. Two, two. Because of the Boston Celtics, and it's not—I'm not trying to take away from what James Harden did. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. PJ Tucker is such like a huge part, like that addition. Like every team should want PJ Tucker. He should be the most sought-after free agent because he <laughs> helps you win. Uh, but I'll just say this: like they obviously have a letdown spot in Game One without Embiid. Uh, game Four, they have—they're up six late. They have every opportunity to win that game, and they simply don't execute. And they do this where late in games, they get away from themselves. They don't have a disciplined game plan because a lot of this is that if you look around the league, you know, it's a late game situation. What are most teams going to run? Pick and roll. They're just going to run pick and roll. It's just going to be like, all right, let's just get pick and roll and we'll run some sequences and get our best guy the ball in space to make a read. Mm -hmm. The Celtics don't play that way. That's not how they're designed. They run the fewest pick and rolls, I think, bottom five in the league. So they don't do that. So a lot of this is their offense that looks so awesome at times can completely melt and they get away from themselves and then they make you know dumb mistakes like doubling off of James Harden in the corner uh, on Embiid when a two-point game just a terrible mistake by Jalen Brown that he admitted to they are they do not have a collective wherewithal that is very high and that's going to continue to cost them in the playoffs the question is again we talked about the Warriors and margin for error Celtics margin for error is very high because of their overall talent level and mm-hmm. their capability possession to possession if they can just manage to not to avoid these situations enough they'll be fine. I think they win the series, but it's not going to be, and it's never going to be easy for the Boston Celtics. How, 
havocky or just bizarro world would it be if it's a Miami Philadelphia Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, I mean, it'd be absolutely crazy just because you're, you're talking about an eight seed versus a team with Doc Rivers, James Harden, Joel Embiid. <laughs> like that's that's absolutely crazy. Um, I don't know if I could bet Heat fast enough in that series to be perfectly honest with you, just based <laughs> off of the history. If you look back, Joel Embiid's record versus Bam Adebayo is not good, and that doesn't make a lot of sense because Bam is so undersized in those mm-hmm. spots. But uh, it would be, it would be, uh, I, I would be very excited to bet the Heat who would have to be massive dogs in that situation. If the Sixers advance, again, it's because the Boston Celtics melted down. I don't think it's because the Sixers are better. They're a really good team, but I do think that they just don't have the coaching advantage alone in that matchup is enough for me to lean Heat. For Jimmy in particular with Miami, how do you think he galvanizes that team? Because, again, Talked about it with Jimmy earlier. Teams will say, or people will say, oh, well, they beat Milwaukee because they were hurt. And I'm like, wait a second. Tyler Hero broke his hand. He's not there right now. And for whatever reason, they just feel like a team that has a chance. And I wouldn't feel that way if they didn't have Jimmy B. Yeah, and when you got a guy like that, the biggest thing that players will say is that you feel like no matter what, we're going to have a chance because of what this guy is doing. Like it's, it's incredible leadership from the perspective of, of leading by example, which is it gives you that confidence to make plays. It gives you that confidence to do the right thing. We talked about Booker and his passing. Butler's the same deal where it's like he's willing to distribute. It's not just scoring. You know, it's, it's scoring and defense and passing and rebounding. It's whatever that team needs on any given night. And they're shorthanded right now. Not just Hero, but Victor Oladipo. They're down ball handlers. Kyle Lowry's having to come off the bench. You know, that was their big marquee free agency signing, and they're just finding a way. Now, I will say, like, I think the Bucks series, there's a lot of context to that and how that happened, and they're facing a Knicks team that I honestly don't think belong here. I just don't think they're a second-round team. Mm-hmm. But the, this is what you do, right? It's like you find the window – and you take advantage of it. How many teams have had great opportunities and blown it before? And so the Heat are the opposite. Where they, If you give them an opportunity, they are absolutely just going to bull rush through you because Butler's tenacity, intensity, and, and his talent enables them to do so. Matt Moore with us here on The Fan. Matt, shifting locally for a second, you know we, we can debate how far away the Pacers may or may not be. They're, they're still, whether it's Tyrese Halliburton or not, in search of that superstar that can carry the day for you. And they're still in search of, obviously, a playoff berth. When you look at what happened in the Eastern Conference this year, is it just an anomaly that Milwaukee fell apart and they feel they've corrected that by showing Bud the door? Or is there a real area for optimism for a team like the Pacers where, look at what the Knicks did, look at what Miami did. If we squeak in or we make the playoffs, we're giving ourselves an opportunity within this conference. I mean, look, step one is a lottery, right? Like that's, that's step one. Like <laughs> yeah. I've, I've said, can, I'll say this, like, you know, <laughs> I've said the, the number one team the NBA should root against getting Wembenyama is the Pacers, in my opinion. That's the number one. If you put Hallie next to Wemby, Oh my God! Like Speaking into existence, Matt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that changes absolutely everything, and that's a contender for the next decade. But you know, beyond that, that's going to be I think, the challenging part for the Pacers. Is I do think that, that we're entering into a a real era of um, 
of parity, and we saw that this year. I I think there's a good chance that things are going to be drastically different with Milwaukee. You know, that opens things up in the division. We'll see what what Cleveland does. Obviously, a disappointing exit for them. But like, there's sometimes there are these gaps, and a team steps in and fills it with dominance. But it doesn't feel like there's a team well positioned to do that. So there is an opportunity here, but it's going to take you know. Obviously, like there's a lot of steps the Pacers have to go through to get there, unless they get Wembenyama. Like this is really what it comes down to. And other than that, I think like they can definitely get themselves in a playoff contention and then have an opening. And if there are more upsets that we see in future years, I think having a guy like Halbert and having Miles Turner and having the guys that they have gives them an opportunity. But it's going to have to start with time to start building, getting some guys that can defend. You know, focusing in on that side, it depends on what timeline the Pacers feel like they're on. That's going to be the big question for them over the next three years. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Last question on my end, Matt. It's kind of a two-parter. A, is there anything you like tonight, whether it's a player prop or an individual bet? And B, are you holding any future bets currently, or are there any future bets that fans or, or betters alike should jump on with how these NBA playoffs are unfolding? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I like the Suns tonight. Actually, I like the Suns on the money line. I think they're actually going to win this game. I think that the Nuggets don't have as many adjustments that they can run out. And while I think there is this idea of like, well, things will regress, I, I've seen them just not. I've just seen things in playoff series <laughs> where things just don't regress. And you know, something that can be on the other side too. If the if the Nuggets shoot a little worse, like they have kind of slowly started to. I think there's an opportunity there for Phoenix. Um, I think there's probably some opportunity for Boston-Phoenix finals matchup. You can get that at a pretty long number. That, to me, would probably be the best value just based off of even the Lakers with as good as they are, would probably have trouble slowing down Durant and Booker as opposed to the motion offense of the Warriors. Um, defense is an issue, but I think the Suns have more firepower. It'd be an interesting series. Or it could go, like, honestly, Lakers-Celtics. It's such a classic rivalry. It just seems <laughs> to always kind of pop up. I'll say this, uh, since 2000, if you just blindly bet on the Lakers to win the title, you would be up. They're the only <laughs> team you can say that about. Since 2000, you just bet the Lakers to win the title, and you would be up <laughs> overall for preseason futures. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Matt, uh, like we mentioned, we can follow you on Twitter at HP Basketball. Got you at the Action Network, hosting a podcast over there, as well as Locked on NBA and Locked on Nuggets. Always appreciate your work, and, and thank you again for making time for us. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. It's Matt Moore. And you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between back here in the drive hubler.com studio you're listening to 107.5 93.5 the fan i'm james boyd jimmy cooks is to my left 
Eddie Garrison is in front of me, very handsome. And we also have another handsome young man on the line, Tony East. He covered the Pacers for Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, Locked On Pacers, covers the fever for the next hoops. He has a lot of titles. He's also an IU grad, so I don't really like him like that. But um, <laughs> Don't come after my boy like that. Come on no, now. no, no. It's all love. I learned my lesson. Trust me. I learned my lesson. <laughs> I've seen the IU Illinois mentions <laughs> exactly. over at Romeoville Kid. <laughs> <laughs> but, Tony, how you doing? And um, my first question is, why did you vote for Tyrese Halliburton first team all defense? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. And, James, I have I am stunned that Tyrese Halliburton got an all defense vote, even though he is a very smart defensive player. <laughs> <laughs> that, that undercut – my, my side question, which is going to be more surprising, the Lonnie, Lonnie Walker game or <laughs> the all-defensive team vote there? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I didn't think any Pacers would get a vote, so I went to check and I just gravitated to center. So I thought maybe Turner would get one or two. Uh, but honestly, I still might say the Lonnie Walker game, given how, how crazy his fourth quarter was last night. My goodness. Oh, my goodness. Well, I feel like Tony's just covering for himself because he absolutely put that vote in, people. <laughs> that was him. That was him. Um, but in all seriousness, what are your thoughts on where the Pacers are as they head into this offseason, knowing you know you have your franchise leader in place with Tyrese Halliburton, you have a piece that looked really good throughout his rookie season and Benedict Matherin, and obviously you're trying to add another piece here with the draft lottery coming up in a week. Yeah, I think they feel good about where they are. You know, Kevin Pritchard alluded to it both right after they extended Miles Turner and, again, at his end-of-season presser. Like, he was surprised at how he was talking about the team in January. And in April, he said, you know, yeah, we kind of have to think about speeding up our timeline because we have all those core pieces already. But, you know, you only speed up your timeline when you feel good about where you are. So I think they have to feel good about the start of their rebuild the first year and a half since they made all those moves last February with, you know, the Sabonis trade and – and they'll avert trade, all of that sort of thing. But now I think also they're watching the postseason and seeing how badly they really need these forwards, right? They know it. Kevin Pritchard was asked what position they need the most. He talked about these forwards, these wings, these hybrids, as he called them, right? They need them so desperate. Like part of the Suns' big adjustment in their series was just switching which wings they play because they have so many, and they throw T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross in there, and they win two games, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they have so many of those wings that it's helpful for them, and the Pacers need so much depth at that position if they want to be competing with the teams like that. Tony East taking some time with us here on The Fan. New handle for him, at Tony R. East. You can follow him on Twitter. Same great content. Tony when you look at the all-NBA or all-rookie NBA list, obviously we'll, we'll get to Ben and Mather in a second, but were you surprised that Andrew Nemhard didn't squeak on that list? Absolutely was. I thought he you know, was in the top maybe six or seven best rookies this season, honestly. I mean, he's maybe the best defending perimeter rookie in the whole class. You know, Walker Kessler, of course, takes the best defensive rookie in general. Um, and that, that, of course, impressive 63 stars for this Pacers team, and Showed a lot of roles, right? Was really good off the ball playing next to Halliburton. Was really good on the ball closing the season when he kind of figured out how aggressive he needed to be, right? That big halftime adjustment in Milwaukee that he took in stride and was great the rest of the season. I thought for sure he had a shot. He was second among all rookies in assists. Like his scoring and rebounding are kind of middle of the pack for his draft class. But you know, he made the, the Rising Stars game. He did he did play well on both ends. I thought he was almost not quite a lock, but pretty close to a lock to being one of the you know, the 10 best rookies on one of these teams. And he, he got the 10th most votes, but Tari Eason with two first-place votes ends up getting him more voting points, which is extremely confusing to explain 
Um, so I, I was really surprised he didn't make it. I thought he was – Rick Carlisle even called a number of the top ten pick during the season. So I think that the Pacers also thought he was one of the ten best rookies and should have made it. But such is life sometimes with these – Second round pick. Well, I mean, when you make a buzzer beater over LeBron in LA, I think that should automatically put you on the list um, for you know all NBA yeah, rookies. Right, the Warriors game right after that too, where he outdueled Steph and like the undermanned Pacers beat the Warriors on the road. Like that was a huge win for the team, and like his coming out party right after that buzzer beater, that was a huge week for him. And that even that wasn't enough. Yeah, I think, you know, jokes aside, he is a vital part of their future. And in talking about their future, one guy who I had the pleasure of covering last year, had a really good rookie season, was Chris Duarte. The sophomore season, not so much. What do you think of his future with this team? And, and is that someone who could potentially be moved, just considering how um, maybe he was not frozen out of the rotation, but just never really found his footing with Benedict Mather coming on board? Yeah, the never found his footing is the perfect way to put it right. Like early in the season, he started for a little bit, and that wasn't perfect. They tried him off the bench a little bit, and finally he found that groove with that, you know, 30 point game in Brooklyn where he was lights out and immediately gets hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And so for six weeks, this new look team is building chemistry and figuring out that they're really good when they play fast, and they got up to, I forget what their peak was, fourth or fifth in the East during that stretch, right? Without him and all these guys figuring out their roles was, and he couldn't quite do that. He didn't have that opportunity. Then he came back and looked good for a little bit and then had that terrible stretch where he missed 20-something shots in a row, and then the ankle was bugging him again. Like, he just never had the same chances to show what he could do. But I also think stylistically, right, I just alluded to this, when the team figured out how good they are playing fast in that November-December stretch, like, Mm -hmm. I think the way Chris Duarte plays, a little slower, more methodical, right, fit really well with the Sabonis and Brogdon Pacers team. He's not as well-suited to this style, or at least didn't adjust to it as well as some other guys did, so... If he is back next year, I think that's going to be a big part of his season is learning to, to speed things up a little bit or you know, be a part of this Halliburton-led random action fast team. And if he can't, maybe he is a trade candidate, right? You remember James last year at the draft, how many teams were interested in him even after the Pacers actually picked him, right? Like he mm-hmm. was a popular pick that year. And so maybe teams still have some of that interest in him if the Pacers are interested in seeing what, what they could get for him. But at the same time, you know, after how good his rookie season was, it might be hard for them to give up that quickly. Tony, I'm not trying to fully reset expectations for what the Pacers could be next year, but we had a conversation with Matt Moore of Action Network earlier today, and he mentioned that he does view a sense of opportunity and perhaps approaching parity within the Eastern Conference. Milwaukee will respond. Clearly, you can expect that from them. But when you look at the state of the East and you look how things have shaken up to this point in the Eastern Conference playoffs, where do you see the timeline or the area of opportunity for the Pacers as they approach this offseason? Yeah, it's tough to say, but you know, looking at all the East teams that are doing well, I think Boston's the only one that you could say, even if they lose the current series they're in, is like an obvious mainstay at the top of the East, right? The Bucks just fired their coach. Who knows what they're going to do next? The Heat look like they're going to the conference finals. Their whole team besides Bam feels like they're 30-plus and – yeah, no matter the Heat could trot out us three and we win a playoff game, but you know <laughs> it, it seems like their timeline has to end eventually. There's all these murmurs about James Harden potentially going back to the Western Conference. Who knows what will happen with Philly, right? All these teams, the, the Knicks and the Cavs are, are good, but you know who knows how good they'll actually be. Like there, there's no real non-Boston force near the top of the conference right this second. So sure, there's going to be other ascending teams that are even around the Pacers right this second, but. It almost feels like the next two years is sort of an opportunity to make some sort of wave and noise if you can be good enough that fast. But at the same time, the Pacers are 
so early in this team building process, like going for it too early can be problematic. So yeah, the East is in a weird spot with all these, the current top of the, the conference potentially maybe pivoting or becoming weekend in the next two, three years. But you know, there'll be some ascending teams and Boston's still going to be a force that whole time with, with Tatum and Brown on that team. Even Brown might be on the move at some point. I don't know. It's hard to say if there's any real mainstays at the top of the East right now. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the Indiana Fever getting Aaliyah Boston in town. Oh. Everyone knew. She was kind of like the Wimby of the, the draft lottery. Like you just knew whoever got the number one pick, that's where she was going. What are your first impressions of having her in town along with Grace Berger and, and the other rookies in that class? Yeah, I thought, thankfully someone who was uh, in the crowd for the Fever Sky preseason game in Chicago uploaded some footage of the game to YouTube so I could see it because – the preseason games are televised, but there, I mean, there's a chance Aaliyah Boston is the Fever's best player, like, right now. <laughs> right right this second, like, day one. She's that talented. She's that, you know, tactically gifted. She's so smart and heady, and her timing is amazing. And the, the, the Pacers, excuse me, the Fever have been last in defensive rating three straight seasons. That streak only broken by being 11th out of 12 teams four years ago, right? They really need defensive help, and Boston is certainly that on the end of four. Her positioning is amazing. Like, she's exactly what they need, and could really help this team finally get out of the WNBA basement. Berger is very tenacious, really, like, fits in stylistically with the way Christy Sides wants to play. Her positional versatility is great. Like, they love their draft class. They love the way they're trending with a little more shooting and, and speed. They're going to play a lot like the Pacers, fittingly enough. So I think the two rookies will help a lot with that, and there's a chance Boston is, is really good right away. Tony, this has kind of been a theme of the day. Tony East of Sports Illustrated covers the Pacers locked on Pacers podcast. A great listen for you wherever you get your podcast. There's been a discussion of the day regarding the Warriors, the funeral vibes that are there. <laughs> when you look at them down 3-1, I know you tweeted it. I, I tweeted something similar as well. You, you couldn't help yourself, not you just generally, but the masses with uh, superimposing Steph Curry's face on LeBron when he had the Undertaker shirt sitting on the side of uh, uh, the Cavs practice facility at the time. The revenge opportunity is there. Do you think this is the end of the dynasty, though, or at least the end of this iteration of it? And if they can't get anything from Jordan Poole, who they just handed a ton of money to, like, it's, it's hard for me to imagine them finding a way to get this done. Like, they, Steph's been, like, even last night, he wasn't shooting well when he finished 12 for 30 or something mm-hmm. like that. And he was the best player on the court. Like, he still has it. And Clay's hitting, he still has it. Draymond looks great when he's, you know, playing still. Like, they, their top-end talent that made the dynasty the dynasty still looks great. After those three guys, they're like, we, they need Kavon Looney to, like, shoot make every shot he takes or Moses Moody to go three for three to get you know any other production. It's because their depth is not very good and Poole can't do anything. I mean, he only played 10 minutes last night. They can't even play him more than that without him being a detriment. So if they can't get anything from Poole, they're just going to need Steph to be that game seven against the Kings Steph for three games. And even then, all it takes is one Anthony Davis masterpiece and you're just out. So you know, given the way that AD's played and the, the, the way the Lakers are defending, I'm hard-pressed to say that the Warriors win the series, even though if any team is going to do it, it's them. I just, it might be the end, which is crazy to think about. I mean, it's been like a significant part of my life that they've been, you know, the premier team in the league. So, Tony, one thing we do know that has come to an end is the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. So, you know, they're moving over to Noblesville. Thoughts on that transition and possibly just seeing more of the the talent on the uh, G League team up close and personal where you don't have to make that drive, you know, to go see them. Yeah, out of nowhere, kind of stunning announcement um, for, for this change to come to Nobleville for the Mad Ants. And two seasons from now, they're hopeful that arena's done. Uh, so next year, the Mad Ants, uh, as they'll be named for one more season before they change their name, will play all, all in Gamebridge, which is pretty nice. 
uh, for synergy with the Pacers. I think that's what some of this is about, is just being a little bit closer to you know, the NBA club. I think next season the NBA said that all 30 NBA teams will have their own direct G League affiliate, so it'll be a lot easier to do those sorts of things. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's the, the big part of it is that talent can be close by. A lot of Mad Ants players live near or around Indy as is, so uh, a lot less two-and-a-half-hour drives up for games and things like that. That'll be nice for them. And, you know, the other part of this is, like, the NBA just changed its CBA, and there's a third two-way contract now, right? So three players on the Pacers that split time between the G League and the NBA now have a lot easier time, you know, practicing with the Pacers and then potentially going to the Mad Ants for games or for game reps like that. Synergy is really nice as well. It's great for, you know, the city of Noblesville, too, to be able to have this facility and the, and the team right there. But obviously, you know, you've got to be remiss to not talk about Fort Wayne yeah. and how big of a loss it is for them. I mean, they've, they've had that team for 16 years, and they, they won a championship there. Like, that is a really great minor league sports town. And to lose the Mad Ants, you know, it just overnight, it seems, is a huge bummer for the residents up there, uh, especially with how kind of sudden this all feels that they don't even get – you know, like a send-off season next year or anything like that since it's coming to GameBridge. So I think it's good for the Pacers part of this and, and good for fans in Noblesville, of course, but a huge bummer for the people of Fort Wayne. You got any uh, options for mascots, nicknames? <laughs> I mean, Millers, but that's like the high school thing, I guess. I'm like, I don't know. What, what, what would be your take on that? <laughs> I think JMB tweeted the slicks. I actually kind of like that. Ooh, that's nice. Leonard. I do oh, like yeah. that. I think that would actually be a pretty good idea. That was my favorite of the names I've heard so far. A lot of them have been, you know, in jest or Mimi that have made me laugh. The problem, too, is, you know, if they wanted to do the blue or the gold to, to copy the Pacers branding, there's already a G League team called the blue and the gold. So they can't do either of the really easy, low-hanging fruit of color team names. So I'm not actually sure what they'll end up doing. You are right on, on one thing, though. And I, I've heard rumblings about the idea of them coming closer to town for years. I'm sure you have as well. I, I too, was though shocked that, that it happened as suddenly as they did. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the end game for where the NBA is headed right now. Yeah. You mentioned their initiative with the G League. They want to have them as close as possible, right? Because, of you mentioned, the ability with the call-ups there with now the, the, three two, or the extra two-way contract. and Inevitable, but I'm with you. It, it does stink for Fort Wayne. Well, and Gabe York, right, he got that call up at the end of the season. He even said, like, a big factor for him this season is, like, to come in and use the Pacers facility as a member of the Mad Ants all the time. And, like, that was big for the team, that they had that option. It was good for them practicing. And he said it made him feel like more execs were watching him. So he, he <laughs> grinded a little harder in practice. But in general, right, like, that sort of proximity stuff is, is really big. And you can tell a lot of G League teams are trying to be more – I hate to use the word synergy. It sounds so corporate. But, like – the main red clause became the main Celtics, right? Like there's trying to be more, this is a partnership kind of thing between these G League clubs and NBA teams. And I think that you're seeing that with the soon to be no longer Mad Ants moving closer to the Pacers. Tony, who wins it all? Oh man. I mean, my, <laughs> my, my, my original pick was the Bucks. So what, why are you? Oh, me too, brother. <laughs> what, what, what do I know at this stage? I mean, man, the Lakers are really tempting, man. Like their defense is phenomenal. This playoffs right now. Uh, I think if you made me pick right now, I'd pick the Celtics. I wouldn't feel great about it. But at their best, I still feel like they have the most depth and the highest gear, right? They very rarely have a player on the court that, you know, I think can't hang or isn't out there. Like with every other team, I feel like a lot of their adjustments are like changing a couple players that play or when they play. The Celtics don't have that, right? Their top eight is so rock solid. Tatum at his best is so good. They made the finals last year. They have the experience. I think I would pick them right now, but – 
man, James Harden's got all he's got this series. So I have, I mean, I you could tell me any team basically except for the Knicks, and I'd be like, you know what, I can see it. So <laughs> it's really hard for me to say who's going to win this series. The Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, any team that's still alive. <laughs> we are very specific and critical right here. Come on, we get we get a tight ship. <laughs> yes, I would definitely be stunned if the Charlotte Hornets won the 2023 NBA <laughs> Tony, thank you for making the time. We'll continue to follow along all offseason and, and potentially have a conversation with you, uh, depending on if mine and James' seance about when Benyama uh, comes to fruition next Tuesday night. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> That's Tony East. You can follow him on Twitter at Tony R. East. Covers the patients and the fever. Does a great job covering all aspects of basketball at the pro level here in Indiana.